everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to chase some storms and count down the things we can't wait to do after quarantine. It was the most historic and apocalyptic dust storm anyone's ever seen. Realized we just got hit with a super strong like microburst out of nowhere. So the back window's gone. The hail's coming down like crazy. And the, and the wind is like 70 to 90 miles an hour. And so I just floor it. We get out of there race out ahead of the storm by like 10 miles. And, and, and so, I mean, I saw some stuff last year where you just, you're just, your adrenaline is just exploding. You're just standing there in, in just gasping in awe. Like I cannot believe I'm seeing this right now. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I grew up in Kansas. And anybody who kind of grew up in the Midwest knows that around this time, is when you start seeing all the storms. You get the big supercells, you get tornadoes, all kinds of stuff that is dangerous, but is also just fascinating to watch. There's something about it. Our first guest has this really fascinating perspective on what it's like to follow these storms all over the country. This is professional storm chaser Mike Olbinski. So what came first? Was it the photography or was it the storms? Um, yeah, for me, I grew up loving storms ever before I even realized their cameras existed. So I watched them with my dad on um, the patio, the back porch, through the window with my brother at night when we were supposed to be sleeping, you know, just fascinated. It definitely started off with just loving storms. What was it about them? I mean, what was it about it that kind of drew you to them? I don't know. I mean, that's such a hard question. You know, um, I'll say this. I've, I heard some cool stories. I don't know if they're, well, I don't know if they're cool. They're kind of like, I love superheroes. So they're kind of origin stories for um, some storm chasers where, you know, a couple of brothers, twin brothers, they lived in a trailer park, you know, in the mid, in the Midwest somewhere with their parents, their parents owned it. And they got, um, a tornado hit their trailer park, destroyed everything their mom was like holding them down. She got sucked out a window, came back in the window, and then like laid on top of them on the couch or something, and they all survived. And later, when they got to high school, they were fascinated with tornadoes, and all they wanted to do was chase tornadoes. And it made, it got me thinking about that, like, what? Well, well, what's mine? And so the first thing when I started taking pictures was I wanted to photograph lightning, and it made me remember. Um, I have a very vivid memory being. I don't know, seven or eight years old, sitting in the backyard with my dad, watching a storm and a lightning bolt must have hit just like a hundred feet away. It was like our house and then a neighbor's house and then a big desert field on the other side. And we we're just sitting there watching the storm and it boom, hit the ground so close. It bl I mean, as a kid, it felt like it blinded me for like I couldn't see for 10 seconds or something. It was so bright. And so that kind of stuck with me, I think. And then the first thing I wanted to shoot was lightning. I'm like, huh, I think maybe that's where that you know kind of passion and excitement came from was kind of this you know there's there's you have lots of memories and things as a kid like very specific kind of iconic moments when did you become a professional at it um that was i guess now like five and a half years ago but i started chasing back in 2009 2010 and 2011 i caught a very big dust storm over phoenix um uh, a time lapse. It was one of my first times trying out time lapse just as an experiment. And it turned out to be a very um, lucky coincidence that I was learning that at the same time that this dust storm hit Phoenix because it was the most historic and apocalyptic dust storm anyone's ever seen here in the States, much less Arizona. And, you know, I rushed down to this parking garage I knew and set up my camera and it looked like it, something. It looked like the the cloud and Independence Day, where a ship was about to merge. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I just sat there, like I cannot believe I'm seeing this right now. It's and so you know that was a big deal for me. It went viral, and I did all these interviews on TV and stuff. And it was um, it kind of set me on my path. Now, when you do it, are you just chasing storms in your backyard, so to speak? Or are you going all over the country? No, I go all over. Um, I started in my backyard. I started, you know, when I was taking pictures of lightning, I literally started by driving a quarter mile to like the field across our neighborhood and trying to take pictures of lightning. At the same time, I was watching the Storm Chasers show on Discovery Channel, which was high, was incredibly educational, but it was also eye-opening to the fact that I had no idea 
that um, this world existed out there where people chase storms. And and I know that I had seen Twister at, at before that at some point, but I was just like, oh, it's a movie, you know, blah, 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 and didn't really take it seriously until I started actually realizing people do this. So it kind of opened my eyes up to the fact that I don't have to sit by my house and hopefully catch lightning. I can drive out after it. I think 2011 or something was like one of my best, my first, or 2010, I don't know, something, one of those was one of my first really good lightning years where I'm like, wow, now I'm catching stuff that I've been dreaming about catching. I think 2009 or 2010 was my first, you know, I made my first trip out to Nebraska for like a day just to see, just to chase and see what happened. It was crazy and wild and didn't know what I was doing. And so that started, um, that kind of started the the chasing out there. And, the, and ever since that day, it's, you know, progressed from like, you know, three days to five days to seven days. And so one year I was out there like 14 straight days. And, and now, you know, every year now, the last couple of years, I'm, I chase at least like 30 days out there and run tours and do all kinds of stuff. So like when you go out, are you watching radar? Like, do you know weather or are you just kind of? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do all that stuff. I mean, I. I mean, right now, basically, I don't know if you can hear my dog barking, but I have some neighbors walking by with their dog. Um, I uh, so basically, you know, right now I'm sitting at home and I am in Phoenix, and I'm looking at forecasts and models for tomorrow that are in the North Texas Panhandle, and I'm looking at various things that I got friends that I like to chase with, and this year's a little different, of course. You know, we're I'm, I'm looking to chase more. Um, by myself, which I used to do and and still do a lot of. I love chasing just solo. And, you know, so I'm looking at, you know, what are things going to look like tomorrow? Is it worth me driving 11 hours to North Texas Panhandle to chase storms and then basically come home because I'm not going to go to the next day, which is like eastern Oklahoma or eastern Texas, which is awful to chase in for me. And so I'm sitting here weighing those options. And if I go, you know, I'm going to be uh, packing up the car and jumping in um, tonight, like at eight, like seven or eight, and driving all night. Probably sleep a little bit at rest area, and then get up and position for tomorrow. And then just look at the current model, see what they say, see how things are going to be, and you know, then just wait for action. You know, and a lot of that is, you know, looking at satellite, seeing where storm, where clouds are starting to bubble. Um, the, you know, when you're out there, you'll see all these little puffy clouds start forming, and you know you're in the right place. And we call it like. Q because it stands for cumulus and little bubble cumulus clouds start bubbling and you kind of sit there and you know initiation is supposed to be around four so we just kind of wait and, and sure enough a lot of times it'll be like four o'clock and the storm you'll just see radar blip go up to your like west or something and sure enough a little a cloud has gotten a little bigger and then they just will explode into just full born like supercells out there within an hour and um and then you you know your radar and gps in my car uh, or in my truck and we, uh, um, you just try to position yourself where you want to be, you know, in front of the storm, look at roads, look at G- uh, GPS, where you are in relationship to the storms. So you avoid big time hail or a tornado coming at you and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, it's crazy. So I'm just sitting here today trying to decide what am I going to do tomorrow? Like how many tornadoes would you, would you say you photographed? Oh, see, I don't keep track of that stuff very well, but, um, the thing for me that's different with um, storm chasing is a lot of chasers are out there for all kinds of different reasons. There's meteorologists and scientists that are out there to get data, um, and they um, do certain things. There's storm chasers that are just kind of adrenaline junkies and chasers that need video that they sell on the, to the news networks to make money. And they want to get real close and right next to a tornado, like 100 feet away, quarter mile away. And for me, it's all about photography and time lapse. And I can't necessarily get as close as I want or could because there's going to be rain or there's going to be hail and I can't set my cameras up in that because it's just not going to look good. So I'm constantly trying to find a place that's out of the rain where I can sit the longest and, and do these time lapses and photos. And so that sometimes will get me, you know, screw me a little bit where I'm too far away to see something. Or, um, or I race out ahead of a storm to be able to get in position to time lapse it for a while, and then the tornado drops while I'm driving or something repositioning. And but I mean, I've seen tons of tornadoes. I have a film uh, called Vorticity from 2016 that's probably got like seven or eight tornadoes in it. Um, a really good one at the end. Um, 
And in last in last two years, we we I mean, we got to see. Um, I run tours where you know people fly in from all over the world, um, and I take them chasing. And I have a really good friend from Kuwait, this girl named Sarah, and she flew out, landed in Denver at like 10 p.m. Um, another friend of mine drove her out to Kansas. She met up with us, and we chased a supercell, and then we pull, and then we get way ahead of it, and we pull up to like a field, and we're watching a storm. We're trying to, we think we're way ahead, so we get structure, and then we just slowly watch a tornado drop. Um, basically like four or five miles away drops, nice cone tornado gets wrapped in rain. And then all of a sudden a big wide wedge tornado comes out of the rain and just goes right across our field of view and then disappears in the rain. And then it's done. And we just sat in one spot and saw the whole Genesis evolution and like dissipation basically of a, of a tornado. And it was, um, it was incredible. And the, and the thing about them is they, you watch stuff on TV and if you know anything, about like frame rate of what you watch on tv there you know you're watching usually at 24 frames a second you know that's what movies are filmed in and tv shows and stuff and so when you watch a tornado on tv it looks just like you know a tv show or a movie but in person it looks like high def like 60 frames a second the thing is just spinning so fast that it looks almost fake the first really good one i saw i just i was like oh my gosh it just almost doesn't even look real to me like how is that real so what would people be surprised by? Would they be surprised by like the noise, the wind, the power? What would they be surprised by? Man, that's a tough question. Um, because if you had never seen one in person, you don't really realize, I don't think, the speed at which they spin. And, and, and there can be sound, but there could also be the fact that I've watched tornadoes and just have birds chirping and a, a little bit of wind where we are. You know, there's definitely going to be wind out there, but not loud and, and not, you know, not anything like chaotic going where I am. Meanwhile, there's a tornado two miles away doing destruction. And so it's kind of, um, it's just kind of interesting. How, and, and also just kind of how, for the most part, tight, a, a compact of an area they affect. Like it's sometimes it can be real big. Like we just had really bad tornado uh, in Mississippi, I believe that was two, like two and a half miles wide or something. And which is insane. I mean, that's just such a huge area and just destroyed so much and took lives and stuff. But for the most part out on the central plains, you know, they're usually not too big, you know, quarter mile, half mile, maybe at the biggest. And, and they don't, they go by empty fields and don't always destroy structures and towns. They, they happen in the middle of nowhere a lot. So it's, um, they can be deadly and dangerous and they can also just kind of happen and be beautiful to watch and, and no one gets hurt. Have you ever gotten too close? I mean, what's kind of like the most dangerous situation you've been in? Um, I, I never, I don't think I've ever been too close to, a tornado. Um, I'm, I don't want to get killed by anything like that, you know? So I am, I'm very much like to be ahead of those things. And, but last year, it wasn't a tornado last year, but last year we were just chasing a regular, which seemed like just an out. And when I say outflow dominant storm, it meant there was really no chance of a tornado happening. It was just a pretty storm, great structure in Eastern Colorado, Western Kansas, beautiful sunset, great striations in the sky. Like it was wonderful chasing. It just kept coming at us. And um, we stop at a gas station because someone's got to go to the bathroom. There's other chasers there. And he, uh, my friend Brett, he's in the bathroom. He comes out and we're kind of waiting for him. And all of a sudden all this like dust like picks up and just kind of explodes everywhere. And we're like, Whoa, that was really cool. Like, man, this, that was, that was a strong gust of wind. And then hail started falling and we're like, okay, well, you know, it's getting dark anyway. We'll kind of, let's see how big the hail gets, you know, because that's like, a, that's always fun if it's golf balls or whatever. So we had close to golf balls falling and, and Brett got in the car and um, I'm like looking around the ground, like looking at um, the, the hail to see how big they get. And next thing we know, like, I'm like, this gust of air hits me in the back of the head. And I, and I had another buddy, Brad, from Australia in the back seat of my forerunner. And I turned around and I'm like, dude, close the window. And then I looked back and the back window's gone. Like it's just, it just exploded all over the back of the car and, and pieces on Brad. And realized we just got hit with a super strong, like microburst out of nowhere. So the back window's gone. The hail's coming down like crazy. And the, and the wind is like 70 to 90 miles an hour. And so I just floor it. We get out of there race out ahead of the storm by like 10 miles. Um, for the most part, I just, I, I definitely try to stay ahead of that stuff. And I, and, and I probably get a little more scared than the actual danger I'm in just because I try to play it really safe. and I don't want to do anything stupid. Some of your work was in Thor. 
Yeah, the um, well, that's that's half the reason I want to go tomorrow is these storms are going like right across this area of North Texas Panhandle where this town called Booker, Texas, is located. And in 2013, the first supercell that I ever saw in person was this supercell, and it was just north of Booker. And it was the most stunning, beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And it was, um, it got better and better. And at this one spot, we're shooting it, and we've got um, a, a, a look like a dead harvested cornfield in front of us. So just like stalks about six inches off the ground, a foot sticking up in the air, brown. And the sun is going down, so the cloud and the sky itself are all orange. It just looked like the end of the world. And, and this thing is spinning and it's pulling up dust from the ground. It was incredible. So I'm doing time-lapse the whole time, you know, losing my mind. And then a week later I put it into a short video with some music and it went insanely viral. It was, it got like almost two, two million views in about three months on Vimeo and it ended up being like Vimeo's number one video for 2013 in which I had no clue about until someone told me later. And so that was that has been like so the clips from that have been licensed for from for so many things and I still license it all the time, but um but Marvel emailed about it and wanted to use it for Thor too, and I had no idea how they were going to do it. They really were. <laughs> I was expecting like oh my god I'm going to get thirty forty fifty grand for this and pay off my student loans and then they came to me for with like a thousand dollar offer <laughs> for this and I'm like what <laughs> and I'm like wait and, and and for me I'm like you know what. I freaking die over superhero movies. This is fantastic. I still, I, I talked them up. I think I got four or 5,000 for it. If I had known how they were going to use it and been a little smarter about asking, can you tell me where it is? Can you show me the scene it's in and all this stuff? Then I would have been like, whoa, 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 wait a second. That's critical. You know? So they took the clip and there's a very key moment in the film where Loki gets like stabbed and it's very traumatic. There's very like intense music. I think it's almost kind of like the climax of the movie, sort of. And so there's like a big panning shot of the ground where Thor is holding, cradling Loki, Natalie Portman standing there. And there's like the whole top half of the screen is my time lapse spinning over this mountain with dust getting picked up everywhere. And they, of course, you know, edit it for the color and all that stuff. And and I'm like, oh my god! It took up like the top half of the screen in one of the most pivotal scenes in the whole movie. So, but I didn't care about the money at the time. I mean, there's a lot of um, if anyone out there or you know anything about photographers, we a lot of them like to complain all the time because usually people will ask us, "Hey, can I use that for free? I will uh, give you credit. You'll be really good exposure for you." And exposure is basically like a curse word. Like it makes us cringe if we even hear the word exposure, which is sad because cameras, you talk about exposure and aperture and stuff all the time. But in the context of how people use the word, you know, it's going to be great exposure for you. It's horrible to say that photographer. But getting my footage in that movie, my name is in the credits. And the bragging rights from that and the amount of like people that are like that have been impressed by that, the – um I would say the exposure for that has been really, really worth it. <laughs> like getting my footage on like nightly news and things like that, where my name's on there, that does nothing. Like my, it's not like my website goes crazy. Like that kind of exposure is like zilch. Um, but the Thor thing has been something that has lasted. I did like some news stories the next day with local news stations and people still will be like, Mike, I saw your name in the credits of Thor too. And not to get nerdy, but the Marvel movies all the way up to Endgame are like, I mean, like this has been a critical 10 years of my life as, as a superhero nerd to watch all those. So just having a tiny little like part of it is really cool. So where do you like, where do you make most of the money? Is it licensing? Is it tourings or like, how do you make a living? Well, so everything for me, um, since many years ago has been like trying to have diversity. And so that's why, you know, my day of the weddings will be a critical part of this so that that's good money. And so um, for a while there, I shoot weddings all the time, but I've now limited to basically like October through April is the only time I shoot weddings. I don't shoot um, from May onward to August because I chase that whole time, and I don't want anything to stop me from chasing because I've missed stuff when I'm shooting a wedding, and there's an amazing tornado in Colorado happening, and I just can't believe I'm not there. So so the weddings are one um, side of the business. Then licensing has gotten, um, kind of, I guess, grown steadily. Over the years, I also work with a company called Film Supply, and they um, they license my work on their website. 
I do a lot of stuff on my own. I've, I mean, last year was a really big year. We had I had stuff in a Netflix show that had um, it's called Chambers with Uma Thurman. I had stuff in the Seven Worlds that just came out from BBC, which was huge. Um, there was Hostile Planet from National Geographic that came out, and I had stuff in that. So, so that kind of, you know, a lot of this footage, you know, it's easier for them to license it than to, you know, pay filmmakers to go out and expenses and all that kind of stuff to have them shoot it. And um, so that's, you know, so that's been really big. And then, yeah, I do, I do the tours where we take people along. And last year it took more people than, than I was going to this year. Now this year is really, um, I don't know what's going to happen if I'm taking anybody. It might just be one person. Last year, we were, we were guiding Nat Geo around for some stuff where they just wanted to get some footage. We that, that Those filmmakers that were with me that I talked about with the blown-out window, they were filming for a client just to get some B-roll storm footage. This year, I was supposed to have another one for um, a video game producer that was making a video game, and they wanted some cool skies, like real skies. And um, unfortunately, that has been canceled, too, because of the COVID stuff, 19 stuff. Are you ready for the harder slash listener submitted questions? Oh yeah, I saw one of them on Twitter. So <laughs> let's go. <laughs> we'll, we'll start with that one. How realistic is is the movie Twister? <laughs> yeah. So um, this is what I have to say about Twister: the the characters and the um, the culture that they show of chasers there. I think that might be one of the most realistic parts of the movie where people are just kind of crazy and they're psycho about chasing storms and they're in all these vehicles and they have weather equipment and, you know, you're looking at the sky all the time. And that part, I'm like, I feel like when I ever, after I've just chasing for years and really got into the culture of storm chasers and have so many friends out there and all these meetups and we're always waiting by the side of the road for things that, um, I was like, man, the culture of that movie twister, that is legit. That's what it's like out there. But, I mean, there's so much of the movie that's not realistic. I mean, I, I mean, the very opening scene, they're all sitting around, like, doing nothing, and they go, yeah, we're waiting, chance of tornadoes later, and then they show a shot in the sky. I mean, it's a full-blown, epic-looking supercell in the distance, and I'm like, no one's going after it? Come on. Like, everybody, <laughs> no one would be sitting around. They'd all be on that storm. And, and of course, all the stuff with, like, being close to tornadoes and, and being strapped to a bar and having knives fly around. You know, I mean, all that stuff is pretty over-the-top. Favorite kind of storm to photograph? Oh man, that is tough. So that's that's one um, a question I kind of ask myself sometimes. Like if I had to put a gun to my head and say one thing I could photograph the rest of my life, and I always come back to lightning. That's what I'd want to shoot. But I think for me, it'd probably be just this regular old supercell thunderstorm. There's nothing. There's nothing quite like standing in front of these things and seeing like super or flying saucers in front of you in the sky with crazy colors. And in I mean, I saw some stuff last year where you just, you're just, your adrenaline is just exploding. You're just standing there in, in just gasping in awe. Like I cannot believe I'm seeing this right now. Just, you know, we were on the storm in Eastern New Mexico, Western Texas near Denver city. And this storm was like a twisted sculpted, like ice cream cone from Dairy Queen. And I mean, not to say, not like a white one, but you know, like a normal storm coast, but it was just twisting straight up and it was so smooth and it just was incredible. And I'm like, I cannot believe that we're seeing this right now. And, and so those storms are so beautiful and they're so fun to photograph. And the cool thing about them is they can last for a long time. You can chase one for 300 miles for like four hours if you get lucky and it just changes the whole time. So you're always getting something different and they're just a blast best place in the country to see them or the best place in the country like if you're you're going to be located in only one place what would be the best place in the country to be um i i would probably say denver because eastern colorado and even storms come out of denver just um there's the rocky mountains right there west side of denver and um storms will come off the Rockies and kind of form right there, west side of the town, east side of the Rockies, and they can immediately turn into supercells right on the other side of town or even over town sometimes. And I think if I had to pick one place, I would just pick Colorado and probably live in Denver. This is, I think, more of a little bit of a technical question, but what kind of equipment are you using? 
Um, I shoot, at least for me, I shoot everything on um, Canon DSLRs for the most part for my time-lapse stuff. I use um, these 50 megapixel 5 DSRs for time-lapse because they're really an incredible amount of um, pixels. For 50 megapixels, I'm shooting over 8K resolution footage when you turn it into video. Um, and so my, um, my, my time-lapse clips are really large and they're really sharp and they got lots of detail in them and they're really good for licensing because I can license for 4k any day and then other bigger projects like even IMAX they're good enough for, cause it's about eight and a half K resolution. So that's what I shoot time-lapse and I use, uh, a Sony a7R three right now for doing stills at the same time. Cause I'll, I'm a little crazy out there. I have two cameras doing time lapse at the same time, and I have a third camera that has a lightning sensor on there called the Lightning Trigger Four, and that actually will de- will sense a flash of lightning happening like simultaneously fire the shutter of the camera to take a picture of it. It's really helpful for daytime stuff when it's not when you can't do like a long exposure uh, on your camera where you can kind of keep the shutter open for a while. Sometimes you can only, you know, it's daytime and you can only have a shutter of like a half a second or something. And so the lighting trigger really helps to do that. So that camera will be set up there. I might use that one to like just run around and do other compositions with it. You know, you do shots of me and my, with the truck or that tour guests that are with me. And, um, and then I use Manfrotto tripods and I've just, I mean, I've got a surface pro with radar in there and Verizon AT&T hotspots for data and just, I mean, I mean, I forget half the crap I have, but that's mainly what I use. And I use a lot of um, Canon lenses, of course, and then also some Sigma art lenses. They're really, really good. That's pretty much all the questions I have, man. What's coming up next for you? Um, yeah, well, for me, like I said, I'm trying to decide if I'm going out tomorrow. If I don't go out tomorrow, I'm probably going to be waiting a week or two. But um, storm season is about to kick in, so this is when everything gets going for me. I want to thank Mike so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we've also included his information in the RSS feed that's on this podcast. You've probably seen some of his images before, right? Like if you Google some of these storm chaser photos, that's him who did that. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. So do you want to share any news or not? What uh, what news would I want to share with you? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> that I, I am now a father of two instead of one uh, one girls. Uh, so first off, congratulations. Second off, I have two questions for you about this. Okay, then bring them. Number one, how would you feel if my boys, because I have two boys, you have two girls, if my boys enter into a relationship with one of your girls, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I hope I never have to think about that ever. Um, the, my first reaction would be anger. I think just out of the billions of, of, of men on the planet, you have to wind up with, you know, or be interested in one of, one of Nick's sons. I, I, let me, let me put it out this way. It's not that it's, your two sons, like it's not them. It's the fact that it's your kids. So it's not, it's not them. It's all because of you. So it's more about me really than it is my sons. I understand what you're saying that. How would you feel though, if I encourage them and like, just try to make it my mission so that one of my boys hooks up with one of your daughters? (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess the hookup would be a lot different than, uh, than a relationship. I mean, listen, hookups happen though. I, 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 I don't want to really think about that at this point. Okay, so here's your options. And rank them in order of what you would most want to what Ugh. you would least want. One, one of my boys has a one-night stand with your daughter. Two, long-term relationship, but it ends. Three, marriage. <laughs> uh, well, I can tell you that my least favorite of all of that would be a long, like a long-term relationship that ends in a heartbreak or something like that. Uh, I don't think any parent wants that for their kid. Uh, then I'm probably going to have to go marriage as number two and then a hookup as number one because, you know, a hookup is like the easiest thing just to say, oh, well, it happened. It's a life experience. We'll move on. I'm never going to talk to that person again. Obviously, we know what marriage is about. 
What if they? What if my boys never call your daughter again, though? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, I guess if they, if my daughter or daughters came to me with that and said, "Hey, so and so never call me back," I would go, "Well, you know who their father is, right?" Um, yeah, <laughs> God, God, then he can track us down, and then I'm on He's the hook for him. To be one of my good friends, he still doesn't care about my feelings. What do you think his sons are going to be like? Okay. They're gonna be such. My sons are gonna be such dickheads. They really are. Okay, here's okay. my other question. Do you feel like your children would be better off if they were raised by someone other than you? Uh, I mean, if we're joking around, of course. I'm probably though. I'm probably. I, mean, I don't know. I don't even know how I, I raise myself or like how I take care of myself. Now I'm being asked to, you know, raise two girls. I, I, I got to tell you, I feel a lot more confident if they were boys, but maybe that's not the case. See, I feel I feel almost the opposite way in which I would trust me as a parent more raising girls. I think because I would that would they would just make me nicer. I'm worried that raising my boys, they're going to be dickheads because of <laughs> me. Like I could make them into jerks. <laughs> uh, I mean. You're pro- you're probably they're probably already well on on their way, uh, just because of the way you are. But it makes me think, what what would you want less to happen? Them go through a terrible life experience, like you know breaking up with someone that they love or something like that, or be or have to spend like a night in jail. Look, if we're just talking about a night in jail for a nonviolent crime, not where they put somebody in danger like a DUI. Like if if my boys spend the night in jail for minor for minor in possession, like I think that builds character almost. Like yeah, all right, you're gonna stay there. Purple pig, baby, here we go. Purple pig, look, I can tell you, as a man who's been in jail, eh, it's not that bad. You know, if you're just there for, especially when all of your friends are there with you. Um, Noting that, not that we're encouraging people to go to jail, but if you're just there for like a minor in possession. <laughs> I love how you have to put the disclaimer. Like that's that's where we're at on this podcast. You have to put up the disclaimer. We're not encouraging you to go to jail. Look, my my grandpappy used to say he doesn't trust any man who hasn't been punched in the face. I mean, I, I, it's kind of like I, I don't know where I learned this, but like I, I believe you should always fight your best friend or or have some kind of true altercation with them. Yeah, you've got to have like at least one good one. Or have your finger broke playing basketball. I feel like that's equivalent. Well, get a better crossover and you wouldn't have these problems. Are, are you ready for your segment? I don't know how prepared you are. I mean, you didn't have to do anything. You could have been watching your wife give birth and working on this. So I don't really want any excuses, to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course I'm ready. I was I was doing this while she was, you know, like you just said, in labor. She was not very happy with me, but... Uh, you know what? I told her to push harder. It's not that hard, and she didn't really appreciate that. No. Um, all right, we're we're gonna we're gonna give some shout outs here. Some of these names you might uh, recognize, but uh, they're they're constant uh, listeners and and posters and things like that. So check us out: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you know where we're at. So we'll start with Dante, uh, Mike, Renee, Wes, Roger, uh, Roop. Give a shout out to Izzy, Justina, Nick. Probably one of my personal favorites, Pos for Donuts. Uh, David, Chef Mike, Susan, Gwen, and Corey. Appreciate everyone. Not only them, but everyone who checks us out every week, likes, subscribes, basically hates on me for anything I say. It's, it's fair enough. Um, so with that, let's uh, let's get your uh, thoughts on some questions here. What, um, quick, quick question. When, when somebody criticizes you, are you generally surprised or you kind of expect it? In terms of this podcast or just in general? Well, I guess both, really. <laughs> uh, in, in general, not so much with this podcast. There seems to be a couple of uh, of listeners who I, who I won't throw under the bus, but they they seem to criticize everything I say, or or especially our top fives, and they they agree with you. And some of them, I'm just you know, some of the comments, I'm just I just don't even want to respond because. I think, as you know, sometimes you send me messages just because you don't want me to respond because you know I'm stewing, right? No, not really. I don't do that at all. 
Oh, of course you don't. Well, sometimes I read these comments and like I start to type like a response back. And I'm like, no, I probably shouldn't because that's going to be a dick move. Look, I don't think that any of those comments have been insulting whatsoever. I think I know some of the ones you're talking about. I mean, they just disagree with you. If you can't handle other people's opinions, then I don't know how you're going to handle raising children. <laughs> I, you're going to get a backbone on you. I have a backbone. It's just some of the topics that we discuss I'm passionate about. And you throw out some of these crazy ideas and people are like, oh, that's that's great. And then I you know, I give my opinion and they're like, oh, well, that's that's terrible. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you're, an you easy, you're an easier guy to make fun of for being wrong. Like if 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 you and I both had said the same thing to the same person, you're easier to criticize for being wrong. They may they may disagree with me, but they wouldn't criticize me to my face. I'm going to get criticized behind my back. <laughs> well, I mean that's obvious. You got a, a much meaner right hook than I do. I'm left-handed too, which is <laughs> right <laughs> right hook hospital, left hook cemetery. <laughs> Your grandpappy uh, tell you that one too. Yeah, when he hit me with a left hook. <laughs> uh, are you ready for the next thing, whatever that is? Let's do it. Um, I'm going to start off with one that I just thought about while my wife was in labor. Uh, and I've actually experienced uh, the second part. So would you rather go through labor or pass a kidney stone? I've heard kidney stone is one of the worst things that, that, that that's that's out there. But if you're, But here's the thing. I'm not going to go ahead and set myself up. By saying anything other than I would rather pass a kidney stone than go in the labor. <laughs> I, so I've passed three kidney stones so far in my life. Shout out to Mountain Dew, baby. Mountain Dew. Well, I'm surprised you remember. Um, they don't give you an epidural. If you decide, I'm, I'm, you can you can get an epidural. Like that's part of the, that. We include that in the question. If I'm getting an epidural in labor, I think I would rather go through labor than pass a kidney stone. Uh, what's your email address so every single female <laughs> member of the population can email you and tell you you're stupid? <laughs> Whatever. All they give you for a kidney stone is, is some painkillers, okay? You get shot up an epidural. You don't even, all you feel is pressure. That's what I hear anyways. How, many, right, how many feet down did you dig in that hole? Are you all the way at six feet or did you get to like <laughs> five and a half before you bailed out? Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm deeper than six. I think there's been multiple people helping shovel shit on me. For years, now I'm just adding to it. Either that or it's the constant drinking and fast food. I'm not really sure. Probably a mix. <laughs> uh, apple, orange, or cranberry juice? Which one are you picking? Orange. Cranberry juice is shit. <laughs> I mean, of course we disagree. I, I actually think I'd pick cranberry out of, the, out of those three. You're just going to sit there and drink cranberry juice? That's fucking ridiculous. I, I have, and I, I would. I, I like it. Cranberry juice is good. It's a diuretic. It's fantastic. It's tart, and it's disgusting. It's one of those things that after you have that, you're like, wow, I really need something else to chase that gross flavor out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I really wanted to make some kind of nasty, sick joke, but I just I couldn't think of anything really good, so I just awkwardly laughed. Okay, that's a good strategy. <laughs> that's a good strategy. Um, hospital food or prison Prison food. I've never been to prison. <laughs> I've had some pretty good hospital food. Shout out to Tucson General, baby. <laughs> well, it must be a little different right now with the COVID because um, the hospital food uh, that we were at, uh, the hospital we were at, which I will not name, uh, their food was, I don't know how you mess up noodles and pasta sauce, but they messed it up. Maybe they Terrible. have other priorities right now. <laughs> I wasn't even eating. Like I couldn't even get a meal with with, with my wife. <laughs> God, you're like a giant I, baby. You've complained about. So basically, your wife is getting pregnant, is giving labor, and you're complaining about how it's not harder than when you passed a kidney stone, and the food is bad. <laughs> I really thought that this episode, you know, this this recording was going to have little or nothing to do with my second child being born, but I was completely wrong, obviously. Well, it's a momentous occasion. Maybe you should cherish it and enjoy the moment and not be worried about the hospital food. What a fat kid thing to do. I know. I was just, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, it's they expect you to, you know, Where give you... birth or, or be there, and then you, know, you want a decent meal after you work your ass off, and then it's, it's just shit. So wait a minute. 
Did you have this complaint? Couple of questions here. Did you verbally, <laughs> verbally say this out loud to your wife? Yeah, I mean, we. Yeah, I said it before we or after she it. gave birth. Uh, after. Some reason that's that's less acceptable, right? If you had made, brought it up before, just to kind of ease her mind and make conversation, that's one thing. But you're gonna be like. Hey, I know you've just been in labor for 24 hours, but you know what? This burger I got just really isn't worth the 250 I paid for it. Well, no, no that, I, that's the thing. I didn't. I, I wasn't even allowed to get a meal. I'm just speaking from just saying what she had. What do you mean you weren't allowed to get a meal? Why weren't you allowed to get a meal? They weren't. They only. They only have enough staff to. Uh, prepare meals, I was told, for the patients, for patients that are there. So you're complaining about something you didn't even eat? I had a little, I tried it, so like, I, I, I'm clearly able to complain about it. Wow. Did you bring snacks with you? No, but if I decide, if we, if I decide, if we decide to have another child, I fucking will be. I'll be sitting in the corner eating Cheetos. You're goddamn right. That's right. Get your orange fingers in there. Help out a little bit. <laughs> Why is the baby's head so orange? John is eating Cheetos. <laughs> it's not jaundice, folks. It's uh, John touching her head or his head with uh, his Cheeto finger. We've got to rush this baby to the testing center. Oh, that's Cheeto dust. Never mind. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> Listen, I- it's 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 all good. It's it was a lot better experience than when we when my wife went into labor with our first child. Instead of being there for eight days, we were there for like two days. It was great. We're out. My baby's here, and I'm you know got half an hour of sleep last night. Where life is good. You know how it is. You were just there. Yeah, and I knew but to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> well. That makes one of us, and probably why you're in a happy relationship, and my wife's on the verge of divorce. <laughs> All right, nothing like rounding out the phrase by insulting your marital status. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you ready for the top yeah, five? Or what? Yeah, you better bail out. Yeah, I'm ready. So the top five is top five things that you can't wait to do once quarantine is lifted. What's your number five? Uh, never hearing phrases like, COVID, social distancing, or flat, flattening the curve ever again. Oh, yeah. That stuff gets tiring really quick. I'm just, I mean, we're we're like four weeks in Michigan into like our quote-unquote lockdown. And every, like, those are the three most common phrases, I think, in the history of TV now. But it's just, I'm just tired of it. Like, I'm just tired. Okay, my number five is going back to work. I actually wouldn't. I don't necessarily want to do the work, but just kind of getting out of the house and having a purpose again, necessarily. Well, you've read every comic book you have, right? Yeah. Darth Vader, man. <laughs> Darth Vader's great. Pick up some Darth Vader comic books. Really good. <laughs> Darth Maul's better. But anyways, uh, my number four is not having to be fearful every time I want to go to like the grocery store or just, you know. Basically, do anything that involves being around other people, and I think I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm the asshole like usual. But I talked about the mask and how like I I wasn't wearing the mask, and you know I was getting looked at that like I was the asshole. Now when I'm out now in a public place and I see someone without a mask on, I'm like, what's you know what what's this person's story? Like, don't they listen? See, I never wore the mask. I guess I've never really been, I mean, I've been cautious and followed all this stuff, but I've never really been necessarily worried about it. Just because I'm a big believer, like, if it's, if it's, if it's, by the time you're aware that it's happened, it's, it, it's too late already. Like, by the time you do something, it's already too late. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. What's your number four? Oh, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I got, uh, getting sports back. Which I, that might not happen for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I I, I I read an article today. I don't know how factual it is. Probably isn't at all. But it sounds like China is starting to put more restrictions now in place for a possible second wave of infections. Like, could you imagine if we get to May or June and some states, you know, completely reopen and we get hit again? Like, there might not be sports for another 
year, year and a half. We've talked to infectious disease specialists on this podcast. Thanks for listening. If anybody wants to check it out, her name is Stephanie Strathdy. I believe it was like episode. <laughs> way, in way to get her name right. In the interviewer. Now she's got like she spells it a little bit differently, and it throws me off. It's Stephanie with two F's, as opposed to S T E P H A N E. It's S T E F F A N I E, which just kind of throws me off a little bit. But anyway. Basically, the thing is, is like a second wave is unavoidable. As soon as everybody goes back, there's going to be another wave, and there's nothing we can do about it. Like this is going to be off and on for possibly the next year. This is this is our new reality. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I'll talk more about the sports in, in, in a few minutes. I, I obviously have it on my list. It's a little higher. So, um, my number three is I just put nothing. Like I'll be happy just to be able to relax and maybe not do anything. You know, for for a half a day or something, I like just not have to worry. Yeah, you're a worrier. Wow, a lot of worry in your top five already. <laughs> two of the, I mean, two of your three are already about worrying. I mean, listen, I you know, I I wouldn't say it's more worry, just being cautious. Like, you know, it, it, you saw the wave coming. And you're like, oh, well, you know, it's going to get here. It's not going to be that big of a deal. But then when your friends start getting it or people you know or, you know, someone's grandma, you know, dies, it's just like, holy shit, this is a really serious thing. And having to go deliver a baby in the middle of a pandemic, you know, nerves were a little high, not going to lie. That makes sense. I don't actually personally know anyone who got it. Oh, well, you're pretty fortunate then. I don't also don't know that many people. Apparently, I'm unlikable. Well, the podcast uh, fandom would would beg to differ on that. Apparently, you're the the much more liked one out of the two of us. Can so, we all, can we also put in handsome and more athletic? I, I'll give you the second one. I don't know. I don't know about the first one, man. I'm my hair is getting pretty shaggy though. Like I need a haircut. Uh, my number three. Did you do your number three? Yeah, you did. Yes. Nothing. Uh, going to the gym because I got to get my calves back, baby. <laughs> the calf races in your living room just aren't the same. No, and you know the thing is, is like I didn't, didn't realize how old I am until I started to actually run, and then your knees are like shattering, your whole body hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get back on my stationary bike so I can watch Love It or List It while I'm at the gym. <laughs> half an hour goes so fast. <laughs> Look, who knew I could burn six calories in half an hour while... <laughs> Oh my goodness! Um, my number two is sports, obviously. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't really need to talk more about it. Just sports, baseball, basketball. You know, I, I, it's kind of funny. That a lot of the how do you feel about a lot of these sport professional sports leagues doing like the the esports competitions? I could give a shit less. I haven't paid any attention to any of it. I don't think anyone has. But like, what are you gonna do? Right, because sometimes you're like, you're still paying people. You got to kind of come up with something for them to do. Like, uh, <laughs> do this. Like, anything's. But I'm so, I'm really surprised that somebody didn't rent out like a deserted island in the middle of nowhere, get some camera crews out there, and and do the sporting event. I'm really surprised somebody didn't do that. You'd be the only thing on TV. Even like if it was badminton, people would be like, "I'm gonna watch this badminton." <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want to say you're wrong, but you're you're right. I mean, all I know is neither of us would be like the the NASCAR driver Kyle Larson, <laughs> who was lit, who was literally fired uh, from his his driving team because during an e race he said a very derogatory term to somebody uh, else in the race. And it got out, you know, video got out of him doing it, and audio got out, and his race team fired him. So when everything goes back to normal, he's not going to have a job and probably never will, at no. least in NASCAR again. No, I mean, when you're talking about racial slurs, when you're dropping that one which starts with an N, that's probably the worst one. Like, you might be able to get away with, with some other ones. Like, if you're a white guy and you said cracker, you could probably get away with that. You might get a little leeway on some others. But that's you're not coming back from that. Do you, okay, here's my question about that. Do you think anybody has ever used a racial slur once? Like they said it one time, and that was the only time they've ever said it. Oh, I mean, no, I. But I think that's the way for all language. Like I, you know, I think once it's in your vocabulary, you, I mean, name me one word that you can remember that you've only used once. 
onomatopoeia? Well, you know what I mean. But how, okay, if somebody says something like that on a live broadcast, how often do you think that person probably uses that word? Oh, I mean, daily? Hourly? Probably daily. I mean, it's obviously in their vocabulary. Yeah, that is a, I, I don't, that is a commonplace thing in their vocabulary. I don't really know the context. I mean, I, I don't know if it was a joke. I don't know. I, I haven't heard if like he was meaning it to be derived. It doesn't matter. But what I'm getting at is, you know, like maybe it's been going on for years with him and his race team and the race team just like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to it is what it is. And then he does this boneheaded thing on the Internet and it gets out. And then people are like, oh, he's probably been saying this forever or for years. He's not probably that good of a dude. Yeah, he probably has some beliefs that a lot of people don't agree with. Uh, my, <laughs> number, my number two is going to a bar. I can't wait okay. to go to a bar. Yeah, so my number one is being social with kind of that in mind. Like going to a bar, just being able to hang out, you know, with friends and, and whatnot again and, and just, you know, have, 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 some, uh, have some shitty whiskey and just enjoy the evening. My number one is actually getting away from people. I'd like to get away from my family specifically. I love them, but I'm sick of them. Yeah, you're quarantining with your wife who's home, obviously. Yeah. My wife, at least before she gave labor, you know, was working at the hospital. So we still were kind of on a regular, you know, you know, we don't see each other for like half the day, four days a week kind of thing. But now that we're going to be home quarantining for at least the next two to three weeks, we'll see where I'm at then. I might, yeah. I might, I might put that as number one in three weeks. I don't know. Look, I don't care how much you like somebody. You can't spend twenty four hours a day with them. You can get sick of them. I could spend forever with you, Nick. Well, that's because we're we're not just best friends. We're soulmates. <laughs> and just to think, it all started with a baked potato and a laptop. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> What's on your honorable mention? I really don't have much of an honorable mention. I mean, pretty much all. You know the thing. Things I'm just getting uh, or looking forward to are kind of what I mentioned. I mean, I just. I mean, I going to the gym, I guess. But let's be honest, I'm perma dad bod now. Yeah, it's it not going to change, do you? <laughs> Unless you get some sort of really bad disease. That's pretty much <laughs> the XXL lifestyle from here on out. Oh, okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Love hearing from you guys. Love hearing you criticize John about all the bad choices that he makes. But I do want to say a special congratulations to him. He's now proven that he's had sex at least twice. <laughs>